There's a happy gang, right? There we go. Lessons from Luke. I, I, I will admit I don't have a Mother's Day sermon uh, per se. If I had a Mother's Day word, it would be this. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and happy Mother's Day, Mom. And, and thank you for those. Um, I, I mean, mother, mothering is, a, is a, a, a difficult job. I will admit that. When we, you've got rascals like me running around and, 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 and trying to straighten out. Uh, yeah, mothering is a, is a challenging job. There's no doubt about it. Uh, my one challenge to mothers is, is be that positive example to your kids. Don't just tell your kids what to do. Show them what to do. Show them by your life. That would be my challenge. Well, lessons from Luke. And this morning's limerick. <laughs> A paralytic on his bed had good friends who said, if we remove the ceiling, you'll receive your healing. Their bold plan went ahead. There we go. Okay. So on February the 20th, 2021, United Airlines Flight 328 took off from Denver, Colorado. And when the plane was over Broomfield, one of the engines had an issue and pieces began to fall off. True story. And debris from the plane covered an area of about a mile. The good news is that the plane made it back to Denver um, and no one was, no one was hurt. Uh, the plane made a safe landing. A Broomfield home, however, uh, got the, uh, a homeowner got the scare of his life when a great big piece fell through the ceiling into the kitchen. I mean, it was, that hole was big enough to fit a man through. Wouldn't that be scary? He was making sandwiches for his <laughs> he was making sandwiches for his daughter or something. Yeah. Our text is found in Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five verses seventeen to twenty six. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. That's lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. In other words, they made a hole in the roof. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but, uh, but God, on, uh, God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were, uh, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. We have seen strange things today. And so three things I want to talk about in today's message, and that is the curious watchers, the determined friends, and the working healer. Well, the curious watchers, I want to give a little background um, because Jesus had become very popular. As a result, like last Sunday, we talked about the, the great amount of fish that, that Peter had caught when Jesus said, you know, let's, let's go fishing. Let's, why don't you let your nets down? And they caught such a great amount of fish, uh, 62,000 pounds, it's estimated, and, um, and then, of course, Peter could support his family while well, he became a full-time student. I mean, it just, it's just a beautiful example of how Jesus uh, is thinking ahead and thinking of others. But just prior to this text, and in the context, we have a leopard, a leper who had, had come to Jesus, and, he's, and he said, if you are willing... He said to Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And what was Jesus' answer? Jesus said, I, I'm willing, and be made clean, and he was healed. And, and it's interesting, in, and I just want to talk about this a little bit, because why in the world would God include this provision in the law? Uh, like, so what would happen is uh, this was required by the law, is that uh, uh, somebody that had had leprosy would have to go and see the priest and be, and be declared clean, right? He had to do that. Now, for, for hundreds of years, have they ever had to use that provision that was in the law? Have they ever had to use that? Has a, a leper ever become clean again? Uh, uh, leprosy was a terrible disease in that day and it was considered incurable once you got it you just stayed away from everybody as a matter of fact you had to you had to if you went out into public you had to call out before you unclean unclean so that everybody would know it's kind of like the covid virus (laughs) in that day but so unclean unclean and nobody could come close right and, but there was a provision written in the law for a disease that was incurable. It is curable today. Well, the, the, with some chemicals, and it, it can be eradicated, but the damage that had been done, that cannot be repaired. Once the damage is done, it's done. You're, you know, you're, some of your skin falls off, if your limbs you know, are damaged, they're not coming back. So, I think God put it in the law because he was looking ahead to the word become flesh and dwelt among us. I think that's why God put it in there. That God in the person of Jesus Christ was going to come and was going to heal. And he was going to heal leprosy. An incurable disease for them. But Jesus touched and Jesus' word would cure it. And so the priest would examine him. The, the leper would, Jesus said, go to the priest 
and show yourself to him and do all that the law requires. That's what Jesus told him to do. And Jesus said, oh, by the way, don't tell anybody. That, that's interesting. I think that's interesting. Why didn't Jesus want him to tell anybody? Now, that's an interesting thing. But, and, and so he goes to see the priest. And now the priest would see him. And can you imagine the priest? What? You had leprosy? How bad was your leprosy? Like, like th- this, for hundreds of years, no one had come to see the priest, to, you know, for, for leprosy. No one. And all of a sudden, and, and this wouldn't be the last guy. There would be lepers that would be coming regularly because Jesus was healing them. And they would be coming regularly to the priest and they what is going on? It's Jesus. That's what's going on. And so do you think this, I mean, obviously the leper would have to answer the question, how did you get well? I mean, why aren't you a leper anymore? What happened? And he would, he would tell the priest, well, it's Jesus. And so I don't think the priest could keep it quiet, and I don't think the people that saw the miracle could keep it quiet. And so the word got out that Jesus was a healer and that Jesus was here. Could this be the Messiah? And so Jesus had become very popular. Now, now when uh, the, what the priest would do, he would examine him. He would see the, the fresh pink skin where there used to be white, you know, scaly skin and chalky skin. There would be, it would all be like fresh baby, you know, pink skin or, or maybe a little bronze depending on his complexion but it would all be new and he would set that man aside for he would have to um, he would have to be a part he would have to be quarantined so our quarantining is nothing new he would have to quarantine for seven days and then the priest would examine him again and when the priest saw that he was okay and there was no sign of leprosy the priest would take two pigeons and he, they were, the priest would kill one of the pigeons and uh, the, the blood from the pigeon and a mixture of blood and water in a basin. He would take the other pigeon and dip that into that basin and then he would let it go. And that was a sign that he was healed, that he was cured, that he was free. He was free to enter back into society. And can, can you imagine... This, what, the emotions, this, this man that had been a leper, can you imagine now that he had family and friends and he could hug people, he could be with people, he was now a part of society. I, I, in the previous, he couldn't even, he, he, there were times that he couldn't even go to church because he needed to stay apart. He couldn't be, he couldn't do those things. And now, but Jesus had said, don't tell anybody. But the multitudes came because word got out. So let's start this particular story with uh, a couple of really important details. First of all, as a result of this leaked news and, and miracles performed, there were many Pharisees and teachers of the law in this large crowd that had come to check Jesus out. I, I believe it was actually Peter's house that Jesus was at in Capernaum and previous uh, it's the wording in uh, the book of Mark 
actually that kind of gives you a hint because previously he had uh, Peter's mother-in-law had been healed and and the, the, the wording it just suggests that it was the same house that they were familiar with and so it, it I believe it was Peter's house or a relative of Peter uh, and so all of these including Pharisees and teachers came out to check Jesus out. It it sounds like it it wasn't just a just a handful of people. Um, Luke says that they came from every town and village and and in they came from everywhere. They came these religious leaders came to check Jesus out. It wasn't just the area of Galilee or Capernaum. It was it was from a, all over Israel. There there could have been hundreds of people trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Why had the Pharisees and teachers of the law come. And in the context, I believe it would have been to judge Jesus as to whether he was Messiah or not. Could this be the long-awaited Messiah? Have you ever had people watching you? Just watching if you're going to make a mistake or what you're going to do. This was um, some 30 years ago. I was adjusting to a new church in a new community. And it was a small community, and I was the only resident pastor, and the seniors had an open house. And so I, I, I thought, this, you know, it was the first week or two I was there, and I thought, what a great opportunity for me to get into the community and meet some of the seniors and, and just introduce myself. And so <clears throat> on the Tuesday, I, I, I met at the seniors. I met the seniors uh, at their at at their hangout, and um, a few of them I would know because we had a few seniors in our church, and they would be there, and so um, and so I walked in, and and you know there's a couple of uh, tables right where you walk in, and and there at each table there were four seniors, and they were playing cards. Of course, the seniors from the church that I was pastoring, they were busy doing something else. Well, so I, so I thought. I didn't know that two of the seniors at the first table were actually from my church. I, 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 I didn't know yet. I, I was just, I was green, right? And so I, I came up, and you know, and I'm a friendly guy, and I said, hmm, oh, you guys are playing Kaiser. Now, if you, if you know what Kaiser is, it's, you don't play with a full deck. Some people never play with a full deck, I'll just say that. But, <laughs> but, but I, I knew the game, and, it, and it, it's, it, it's a good card game. And so I said, oh, you guys are playing Kaiser. And no, no sooner had I said that when this little old guy, about 93, with Coke bottle glasses, looks up at me and he says, can you play my hand? i got to go to the washroom. <laughs> well, talk about being watched. So, the, you know, the two ladies over in the background doing all of a sudden their gaze, and I could feel these laser beams in my back, right, as I'm going. And so I had to decide, okay, now what am I going to do? Um, you know, am I, am I going to pretend that I'm all, like, righteous and I don't play cards or, you know, for the sake of the, you know, the very conservative... Or am I just going to sit down and, and join in and play these, you know, play this hand? And so I said, oh, sure, I'll play that for you. And I sat down, and, I, and later I found out that he was a member of my church. Um, anyway, I was walking out the door after I had done my visit, 
and our, the lay leader of the church, her name was Grace, perfect name, I love this, and she goes, ah, 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 pastor playing cards in public. Oh, <laughs> just like, you know, just like, she wasn't fooling around. And so I said, Grace, I'd love to talk to you about that. When can I come over? And uh, let, uh, why don't I bring the discipline? And <laughs> there, was this, there was a book about this thick, about all the rules and regulations of the church. Uh, after that year, it was gone, believe me. But um, <laughs> so I said, I'll bring the discipline over and we'll look through that and we'll look through the scriptures and we'll see if I've done anything wrong. And, and I said, can I come over on Wednesday? And she said, um, no, Wednesday, that's when I play bingo. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just, but I was being watched. I was being watched and I was being judged, Right? Uh, the kids, I would go over and play that same game with the teenagers in school at noon. And when they came to Sunday school, those people that were judging would make sure that the kids knew that playing cards was sin. Well, what does that say? What does that do to the kids and their respect for their pastor? Right? There's a little confusion going on there. And so these people, these religious leaders came to watch and to judge. They weren't ready to receive. They weren't ready to discuss. They came to judge Jesus. Second, Luke wants his readers to know that the power of the Lord was present to heal. I love that. And, and the same story is told in Matthew and Mark. And Matthew and Mark, either one of those don't say that. They're, I think they're assuming it, but they're not, they didn't say that on purpose. You'll notice in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts that the power of God is mentioned a lot. And so Luke makes sure we know that it was the power of God that was at work. And I think that's really quite interesting. He felt it necessary at this point. Perhaps... It, um, of course Jesus had the power to heal. And Jesus is God. He was God in human flesh, right? However, not too long before, Jesus had been in Nazareth, where Mark points out that he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief, right? So the power of God wasn't available in Nazareth because of their lack of faith. And, um, well, Jesus preached, and the truth of what he was preaching was confirmed through the power of God to heal. And as a matter of fact, in the book of Mark, at the end of the book of Mark, um, it, it, it says that that power, the power of God to heal, will follow those that believe. Right? And so this is exactly what happened here. So, um, and, and at the end of Mark, it, is, it says, this is what it says, go and preach the gospel to everyone, right? Uh, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. That is, uh, notice, faith produces action, right? They believe and, and then they're baptized, and so they start to act out what their faith um, encompasses. And then the power of God will follow those who believe. The action upon believing is uh, assumed. 
Uh, J.I. Packer said, our high and privileged calling is to do the will of God in the power of God for the glory of God. And, uh, but do we really want the power of God in our lives? That's the question, isn't it? Do we want that power of God in our lives? Do we really want it? My observation is that in our North American Christianity, we want God's power, if we want God's power, if at all, we want it on our terms and not his terms. Um, if it's convenient, we want God's power. A.W. Tozer said, we want to get the power of God into our hands to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our kind of Christianity. We are calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our altars and not God's. And so, I really like that Luke includes that the power of God was there to heal. So there were some determined friends. Now picture this scene. Such a great crowd. I don't know how long they'd been listening to Jesus, but no one was leaving, I bet. And everyone wanted to get as close as possible. One person might have been able to squeeze through and get close to Jesus, maybe one person. But four guys carrying, carrying a stretcher? Could, how could they? How could they even... Uh, get close to Jesus. Let me suggest that the four stretcher bearers are an important group of friends that are in this man's life. They are determined to help him to see Jesus. Now, we'll come back to those four friends in a minute. But if his friends are trying to help him, there are others that are standing in the way. Right? They are standing in the way uh, for, they, they can't see Jesus because of all these people. Who are these people, and who, who's making up such a large crowd? Let me divide this gathering into two main groups, the religious and the crowd. Okay, let's talk about that. The, the, the crowd is made up of the religious and the crowd. The religious are all too well known for standing in the way of those who would see Jesus. The religious have a set of rules to follow, spoken and unspoken. Last summer, we attended a very religious church that had their own rules. It was nice. It was a hot summer day. The men all wore white long-sleeved shirts with black dress pants. And that was an unspoken rule. And, uh, and I thought I was dressing up because, you know, this is summertime and, you know, you'd have... And so I wore, you know, a fairly new pair of jeans and I wore a short-sleeved patterned shirt and, boy, I, I just didn't fit in. <laughs> I just did not fit in. And um, COVID was still on. And so normally they had men on one side and ladies on the other side. And that ladies and the children but um, and they like it that way but that's another one of those unspoken rules so the message on Sunday morning was was the emphasis was on keeping yourself in line rather than by you're saved by you know by grace you're saved through faith 
It was more that you need to keep yourself in line. And, uh, and so uh, the religious outspoken person ties into the man who came to church and decided to have a smoke. This is another instance, by the way. Um, that, that's the religious attitude, right? Somebody wants to go have a smoke, fine. You know, I, yeah, I wish our, you know, our, there were lots of cigarette butts outside, right? That would mean that we're reaching out. And, and I'm not suggesting that everybody start smoking. <laughs> that, would be, that would be bad. Um, uh, smoking, by the way, is not healthy for you. And, and I'll, I'll just say that. And, and anybody that smokes knows that. And, and so, okay, I, what am I saying? Yeah, okay, what I'm saying is that it, it, was, it, it was part of the thing I struggled with in up north is that there were very religious people in the church that would say to a person that would decided to come to church and then go outside after for a smoke, they would condemn that person for having a cigarette rather than walking, you know, being glad that they were there at church, Right? Uh, another example is um, one a lady complained loudly, and she rarely came to church, if at all, when she came to church that we were serving coffee at the back of the church. And she, and she loudly said, next thing you know, people would be bringing their booze. Ooh, I think that's kind of a religious spirit, isn't it? And... and That religious spirit stands in the way of someone seeking to see Jesus. Doesn't it? That religious spirit stands in the way of people that would really like to see Jesus. And you know, by the way, the coffee at the back of the church, there was a, a, here's another example. A a young couple came in. uh, They had not used to been they haven't been going to church it wasn't a thing they did but they were wanted to start coming to church and they didn't know what to do it was all foreign to them you know what i put a cup of coffee in their hand and they had something to hold and all of a sudden they were relaxed and they felt welcomed now that's not a religious spirit that's the opposite that's helping somebody to see jesus that's welcoming somebody praise god the religious are seen as judgmental. I can't live up to that. And hypocritical. And you can't live up to that. Right? The second group is the crowd. The crowd is oozing with popular opinion and unspoken expectations. To follow the crowd is to follow the path of least resistance. Why do people follow the crowd? Acceptance. No one wants to be on the outside looking in. No one wants to be singled out as different or weird. That hurts. However, the Bible is clear throughout when it comes to the crowd. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. That's Exodus 23, 2. Nothing good comes from following the crowd. Let me be blunt. You keep following the crowd and it will kill you spiritually and maybe eternally. And uh, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's Matthew seven, thirteen to 14. 
So who is keeping this man from seeing Jesus, the religious leaders and the crowd? It's a question we must all ask of ourselves. Is there anybody, is there anything, anybody keeping me from seeing Jesus? Right? Am I following the crowd too much? Do I want to be liked? Do I want to be accepted? Do I do things that I know are wrong so that I'll be accepted? That's following the crowd. And so, I mean, these are, the, the religious leaders and the crowd are, are extremes, but they're opposites. But the, the results are the same. You can't see Jesus. What to do? Then one of them had an idea. Hey, what if we go up to the roof? And their house construction had a staircase, of course, in, in, in that part of the country and in that time. And so uh, the, they would have a staircase going on the outside to the roof, and the roof would be flat, and it would, there would be beams, and then there would be reeds and, and uh, straw um, over the beams, and then there would be tiles of uh, mud or, or caked um, clay, and that was their roof. And you'd be able to walk on it. Okay, that's how it was constructed. And every year, they, uh, they would repair it because the weather, right? And so after the rainy season, and it would be all uh, mushy and need repair, right? And so it was repaired every year. And whenever, uh, so it was, there was maintenance that needed to happen all the time. And so this thatched, what did they, they thought, well, let's go up there and maybe we can uncover that and drop this man, drop our friend right before Jesus. Um, so, which brings me to the second question. They, they were going to make a hole to lower the man. The second question then is, what is keeping you from Jesus? What? Uh, the first question was, who is keeping? And there was the crowd and religious leaders in this case. But what is keeping uh, them from seeing Jesus? And that was the clay and straw that... that was all skillfully put together on the roof to keep the occupants dry and protected from the elements. Now, this was all stuff that needed to be removed in order for them to, to see Jesus, to get the man down to see Jesus. What kinds of things need to be removed in your life? What kinds of things? When I was in grade 12, we had a group of kids uh, stay over at our house called Canada World Youth. Now, if anybody knows anything about Canada World Youth, and I'm not sure if they're going yet or not, but what would happen is that half the kids would be uh, from one country, from a foreign country, and half the kids would be from Canada, and they would come together um, uh, through, and they would travel together for a year, half the time in this country and half the time in Canada. Well, this group came, and I, don't, they, I was so impressed with this group that I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted that to be a part of my experience. What's so bad about traveling the world, right? And so I wanted that experience. Well, that had to be removed from my life because I was not ready. I was not ready for that. It would have been a great experience. It was actually, it came down, it came down to two people uh, between the two of us who would be the last person selected. And I went up to Saskatoon for an interview, and I was not selected, and I am so thankful that God took that away from me. 
because I would have fallen. I, I guarantee it. I would have not survived. Um, and that needed to be taken out of my life. Mark identifies the number of men that carried the paralytic to four. They were this man's stretcher bearers. And this brings me to the third question. Who do you have, who do you have to help you see Jesus? Who is your stretcher bearer? See, we all need help to see Jesus. Who is your stretcher bearer? Who's the one in your life? There have been a few stretcher bearers in my life over the years. Sometimes they continue for years, and sometimes they're there just for a season. Remember when I, did, when, when I resigned from the church I was pastoring up north? It wasn't, um, there, was, there was some friction in the church. And 50% of the church really wanted me to stay, and 50% of the church really wanted me to leave. <laughs> and so I resigned to, to, um, to help the church move on and, and heal. Because the, there was the, the, the entrenchment was so deep. And, and there were some very hurtful things said and very hurtful things done. And, and I could have taken that and been offended and just like been against these people and, and held this against them all their lives, right? It was that bad. But there was young, one young man, he, could, he was old enough to be my kid. And he said, Pastor Doug, I would like you to come and do a study with me. Actually, both my, Donna and I. And it was John Bevere's The Bait of Satan. And, and it's a study in a book that helps you um, identify not to be offended when somebody, because the Bible says offenses will come. And so through this study, and I can't remember how many times we met, but we met, we went through the whole thing. And, and this man, this young man, became my stretcher bearer. He helped me to see Jesus through all of this. And I can't, I, I, I can't, I am so thankful for him and for that God had put him in my life at that point. I needed that. I needed that encouragement. I needed that ministry. I needed that man to lift up my stretcher and carry me through to see Jesus in all of this. And it's so very important. What kind of person would make a good stretcher bearer? Well, a person that is spiritually mature, a believer who puts Jesus first. One who prays brings your friend's spiritual health before the Lord. And so uh, somebody that knows how to pray and can pray for you. Bringing you before God's throne, it's so important. Your best interest in mind. Somebody that puts you ahead of their own, and even if it's inconvenient. Even if you don't like them to tell you the truth, they're going to tell you anyway because they know it's going to help you. Um, someone who doesn't give up easily. Someone you can depend on. Friends mean well, even when they hurt you. But when an enemy puts his arm around your shoulder, watch out. That's Proverbs 27 and verse 6. That's a good news translation. I like that translation um, for that verse. Who is your stretcher bearer? Someone who will help you see Jesus clearly. Someone who won't stop, even if it means volunteering to repair the damage they'd caused on your roof. 
because I'm sure those four guys helped repair the damage after. So who's your stretcher bearer? Who are they? Who can help you? Well, there's, how about your pastor? That could be one of your stretcher bearers. Uh, how about a believing relative? Maybe, maybe a mom or a, a, a dad or a grandma. I know when my, when my grandparents were alive, they were my stretcher bearers. Um, how about a co-worker who practices what he preaches? Always encouraging you to do what's right. How about a close friend? Identify your stretcher bearer. Well, the third thing is the working healer. Now, can you imagine Jesus teaching the people and suddenly bits of debris are falling? What? You know, he's teaching and, and all of a sudden there's this ruckus from on top of the roof. He continues until he can't. And uh, light floods into the room from above. You know what? I think Jesus smiled. I think he had a grin as big as Texas. Well, maybe not that big. But I think Jesus really smiled because of what these men were willing to do to get this man some help. Uh, you know, so the first thing that Jesus notices is their faith. It wasn't just the faith of the paralyzed man, but of all of them. They were so sure that Jesus was the answer, that Jesus could heal their friend. What is really shocking is how Jesus responds, though. What does Jesus say? Does he say first, Oh, sure, I'm willing to heal you like he said to the leper. No. He said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. That's what he said first. And that, that, was, that is absolutely shocking. Now, didn't he come for physical healing? But he needed more than that. And there was something more than physical healing that was important. He needed some spiritual healing. Now, it's important to note that in Jesus' day, that anyone that was suffering from this kind of disease, like, like leprosy, it was assumed that it was their sin that had caused the disease. They were guilty, and God was giving them this disease as punishment. And so when Jesus saw this paralyzed man, I mean, everybody is assuming that this man's sin, uh, he must have done something bad to be paralyzed. And so that was the idea. And so for him, then, I mean, he couldn't even participate in regular life, just kind of like the leper. Like, would he even be allowed to go to church? Like, there were so many things that he would not be able to do. Um, he wouldn't be uh, available for the priesthood. I mean, all of this stuff. And, uh, and I like what J. Vernon McGee, he puts it, you and I don't have much trouble forgiving people. It, uh, if you should step on my shoe and turn around and say, oh, forgive me. And I look down and I think, and, he's, and he says, I'm Scottish. And, oh, that'll cost me 50 cents to get the thing shined up again. But I say, well, I forgive you. Well, that's easy. But my friend, forgiveness from God's standpoint is an altogether different master matter. He is the moral ruler of this universe, and he cannot forgive sins without maintaining his holiness and without upholding his justice. He can't do it arbitrarily. And so for Jesus to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, that's a big deal. It's huge. And you, you might... I, I mean, and here's the... Um, 
the Pharisees, they're thinking, they're, they're thinking, who is this man that he would dare to say this? That's blasphemy. And so they said two things, right? They're, they're thinking two things. He said, this man speaks blasphemy and who can forgive sins but God? The first thing, they were wrong. Jesus wasn't, now if Jesus wasn't God, that would be blasphemous. But Jesus is God, right? And some people think that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible. Well, this is one instance where he does, right? And so, and then who can, they were right about the second one, who can forgive sins except for God, right? They were absolutely right, but they didn't accept it, right? They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. And so you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus healed the man right on the spot. Everyone was amazed, except for the religious leaders, I think. At this point, the religious leaders had the choice, right? The religious leaders, they had a choice. They could fall down and worship because Jesus just proved by his actions what he said was true by his actions, right? He healed him on the spot. And now they could have recognized him as Messiah right there and fell down on their knees and worshipped him. But they did not. And they did something. They rejected him. They chose to reject him instead. Now, I want to leave with this challenge. There is someone close to you that needs to see Jesus. There's somebody close to you that needs to see Jesus. Which group of people are you in their life? Are you the religious leaders that were judgmental and hypocritical? Are are you you care more about the rules than, than the person? You care more about your opinions? You care more about winning arguments? Or are you the crowd to that person? Oh, you're the popular person. You're going along with what everyone else is doing. You're not standing out. You're not living out your faith because you're going with the crowd. Or, door number three, are you a stretcher bearer? Will you help pick up their stretcher and allow them, take them to be able to see Jesus? Because Jesus wants to see them as well. He, he bring, I mean, will you rise up and be a stretcher bearer? That's what I'm asking. Putting Jesus first, wanting the best for your friend, doing whatever it takes for them. The church needs men and women that are stretcher bearers. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. Uh, we can't, we cannot. We are so tempted to be religious and we are so tempted to be going with the crowd. But Lord, help us to be stretcher bearers. All through scripture, you challenge your people to be different, to go against the flow. And so help us not to be ashamed of your gospel. Help us to pick up someone's stretcher and help them to see Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.